it's good to be home, and uh, hopefully this morning we can conclude chapter 15. Um, that's the goal, so we'll need the whole solid hour, if not a few extra minutes, but uh, we'll say more about the uh, conference next hour. Uh, we're down to verse number 29. Let's read verse 28. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for, for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with, joy, with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now obviously, we've, uh, when he says there uh, in verse 28, when therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to you this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem with the fruit that uh, the, poor, the collection for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. They're at the end of verse 26, verse 25. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And last time we talked about the saints are not just the church, the body of Christ, but it's all believers. All, all in Israel, so the little flock, the believing remnant. If you remember that Paul has collected up a, a, an offering uh, and, and a contribution, verse 27, it has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. It's interesting that Paul uses duty, the word duty. You know, it isn't, and again, there's no command to do this. It's that, it's that gamble of grace. It's that dare of faith. And what Paul knows and what God knows is that, hey, the grace of God will motivate the Gentiles' churches, the Gentile churches, to then see the need and step up and perform the need and answer the call. So that little flock, that believing remnant, who, by the way, believed the claims of the Messiah, who believed the claims of, of Peter. You know, we went back in Matthew and sell the, Luke 12, sell that you got. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Messiah. Peter in Acts 2, Acts 3, same thing there. So they believe. <laughs> it's interesting. It took P, P, Could you imagine being Peter and you're saying, sell everything, bring it here, we'll distribute as to the necessities? And then all of a sudden, God changed the program on you, and you're sitting there holding the bag, full, you know, the bank account full of money. <laughs> now what do I do? Well, he's he distributed it, but now now what? So he's got to write Second um, uh, Peter basically to get them off, his, to let folks know why things aren't go, why they're not going on into the kingdom, because that seven years has passed. Times clicked away here. So here they are, they obeyed the doctrine, the little flock obeyed the doctrine. They weren't not obey, in obedience, they were not in disobedience, they were in obedience, and God changes the program on them. So Paul, remember in Acts 15, remember the poor? That wasn't just any Joe Blow on the street, that was the little flock, the believing remnant, very specific. 
So Paul, that gamble of grace, comes in and he knows, Paul knows, that if the Gentile churches allow the word, the, the grace of God to work in them, to motivate them, then they would going to provide for the poor saints there in Jerusalem. And so Paul sets in order, 1 Corinthians 16, the how to do it, and the first day, get it all together, let, their, let it be done. Don't let it be, don't, don't make me wait when I get there. You get your group of guys you're going to go, and you're going to send it with them, and if i got to go with them, obviously he was going with them, and so forth. So Paul understood, Paul's expectation is that the sufficiency of God's grace was going to motivate and compel the Gentile churches to provide a, a fruit, okay, to provide financial relief to those at Jerusalem. So obviously, he says there in the end of verse 28, I will come by you into Spain, and I am sure that when I come unto you. So he has never been to Rome, and what does he want to do? He goes, all right, I'm coming to see you on my way to Spain. I'm coming to see you, but first I got to go to Jerusalem. So he's got an order here. He's got an itinerary of travel. When Linda and I went last week, we had an itinerary. Joshua Tree National Park, 29 Palms, San Clemente, you know, and we had a travel. We knew what we were going to be doing, at least we were hoping to do. Paul's the same way. I'm coming to you, verse 29. And then he says, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And that end of that verse is very fascinating. By the way, there's a lot here. We're going to do our best to unpack it, look at it quickly. Paul was well aware that he did when that at the time of the writing of the book of Romans, which is Acts 20, he did not have the completed revelation. Okay? He didn't have the whole package of the the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. He obviously understood more was coming, okay? So he says, when I come, I shall come in the what? The fullness of. There's more doctrine coming, and when I get to you guys, guess what I'm going to have? I'm going to have the fullness. I'm gonna ha- I'll have more doctrine to pass on to you. Okay, now hold on here and look over at Colossians 1. Because the, when he gets to Rome, he's coming in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. By the way, notice it's not gospel of God. So we're talking very specific. Remember gospel of God, umbrella term, gospel of Christ, specific information. The good news of Christ. Not only, the, and, and we'll, we'll get in there, I'll get ahead of myself. Look at Colossians 1, look at verse 25. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Okay? He, when he says fulfill the word of God there, he's not talking about living up to the word, what the word says. Okay? He's talking about bringing it to a completion. He's going to fulfill the revelation, all of the progressive revelation, all of the doctrine. So when Paul finishes writing, the Word of God is what? 
complete. It's filled. And, and that's what that fullness is. Go back to 1529. So the fullness of, it has to do with the capstone of revelation. Paul understood that he didn't have it all at the moment, but when he gets there, guess what he's going to have? He's going to have more doctrine to give them. Now, look, look in chapter 16, Romans 16, and look at verse 25. Romans 16, 25. Now, by the way, notice the now. There's a now in verse 1530. There's a now in verse 33, okay? 1625, now. See, so we've got some timing indicators here. At the end of the book here, now, to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Romans concerns the doctrinal information of my gospel. That's what he's after. That's what he's teaching. But then he says, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets. None of that is in Romans. The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery is not covered in Romans. It's mentioned here at the end of the book, but it's not the, the primary concern. What, what book is the primary concern about the mystery? Ephesians. See. And the prophet of the scripture, the scripture, that's not covered in the book of Romans either. That's really the book of Thessalonians, first and second. See? So when Paul does here in back in 15, 9, by the way, look over at 2 Corinthians 12. What Paul does here is he's like, look, guys, you have 15 chapters of doctrine. It, in Romans 15, 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He tried to stop the book right there. See, we're at the conclusion of the book here. Now, he goes on for a whole other chapter, and we'll get into that hopefully starting next week, 2 Corinthians 12. But the issue is, as Paul says, you've got 15 chapters of doctrine here, and I'm going to beseech you here in a moment. I'm going to call on you understanding that doctrine, not only doctrine revealed, but doctrines learned. See? And I'm going to ask you, when I come to you, I'm going to bring more doctrine with me when I get there. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. What does Paul know that's coming? He knows he didn't get all of the information in one shot. He knows more is coming. So when you come back to chapter 15... In verse 29 of Romans, when he says, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. I'm coming to you. I'm on my way to Spain. That's the end of the trip. You are in the middle. But I got to go to Jerusalem first. And when I get there, I'm bringing more information. I'm bringing more doctrine to you. Okay? Verse 30. Now I beseech you. Verse 32, now the God of peace. The now, why all, so why is Paul saying now? Hey, the sun came out. Woo. Poked through the, through the rough clouds, I guess. It's not noon yet. It's not supposed to be done raining. <laughs> now. So the question then is, okay, why, why, Paul, why does Paul say now? I beseech you. Now, 
chapter 16, 25. Now, why does he do that? Well, he's trying to conclude the book. And he's going to beseech them based on all of the doctrines of chapter 1 to 15. Romans is hardcore doctrine. Romans is packed with doctrine. And the value of all of that in the book, Paul is going to bring to your mind here. Because he's going to say, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. He's going to call now on all of that doctrine. And you, again, you've got to remember, come back to chapter 1, what's Paul doing in the book of Romans? Why does it sit first in Paul's epistles? It's not written first. It, you know, it's, it's written Acts 20 time period. Okay? What's happening here? Well, 111, Romans 1, verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. E, there's an E there. Set up. Install. Get, it, get this footing in place. Let's get you rooted. That's what established is all about. Let's get you rooted. Uh, when we got back, I planted a, a bush for Linda. And you dig down in the ground, you know, the ground, and you put it down in there, and you hope the roots do what? Take hold and go. Now, my luck, I'm I'm a brown thumb, so I'm hoping there's enough rain that'll make it a green thumb. <laughs> you know, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, but that's okay. But that's what that's what establishment is. What's the goal? That you're established. Verse 12. What does that mean? What does it mean to be established? Verse 12. That is. See, what does it mean to be a staff? That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. The, the, the goal, the, the end, is that at the end of Romans, you may be guided, you may be grounded, you may be fixed upon not only the doctrines revealed, but doctrines learned. Now, 16.25, run back there, we just read. Now, to him that is of power to what? To establish you. That is, the, that, that's the, that idea of being stabilized. Okay? You're rooted. You got four... Four sections, you got 15 chapters of doctrine. Good morning. And then you have this issue of now I'm rooted. So now I can't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I have my roots in. I've learned some things. So established and established are two different words, and they mean two different things here in the context of Scripture. So when you come back to chapter 15, verse 30, he says, now I beseech you, the language of love, the language of grace, not the language of love, the language of grace. I'm going to beseech you now, based upon the doctrines taught, and again, more importantly, the doctrines learned, okay, I'm going to beseech you. I'm going to ask you to join me. I'm going to ask you for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and the love of the Spirit. That you what? That you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You see, strive together with who? With me. Comforted together, mutual faith over here. 
so that when you and I, when we communicate, when I get there, Rome, saints at Rome, when I get there, I want to be, well, the end of, or well, verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be what? Refreshed. He's on his way to Spain. I'm going to get to you guys, and you're going to, get the, you're going to have the wonderful opportunity to refresh me. But what's doing that? The doctrines learned. And that's what he's doing here at the end of the book of Romans. That's why he says, now. Now I beseech you, 1530. What a way to end this epistle. He said, what Paul, Paul I, I want to be able to commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And I know that if you let the doctrines learned here, revealed here, work in your life, that it will establish you, it will edify you, that, that establishment principle. I want you to know, I know that this, in, in chapter 1 he says, I am persuaded. Remember look, chapter 1, verse 16? He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That issue of not ashamed, that issue isn't hiding over in the corner and don't tell anybody. That issue is absolutely the opposite of that. I know this works, so what am I doing? I'm spewing it out. I'm preaching it. Why? Because I know it works. That's what he's doing here at the end. Again, amen, 5033, amen. He's trying to end the book now. Now, again, we got a whole other chapter 16 here, <laughs> okay, because... Finally, my brethren, and he's going to go on for another chapter, right? Two chapters, right? He just can't end it. 1530, what does he say? I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, this is a wonderful verse. By the way, this is not a formula for prayer, okay? We'll usually, you'll hear people say, in the name of the Lord, amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. That's. It, I had a, somebody here one time, why don't you use the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of your prayers? I'm like, why should I? Why do I need to? It's not a formula. It's, my prayer isn't less spiritual because I don't, dear only Father, we thank you for today. In the Lord's name, amen. You know, That's not what this is about, okay, at all. When he says, I'm going to beseech you, for who? For two things. For the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. Now think about what Paul's doing here. He's drawing your minds back to the entirety of the book of Romans in both of these elements. Based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished and has achieved for us, I beseech you to join me. I'm beseeching you, church, the body of Christ, church, the saints at Rome. Look at what God, if God has provided all of this rich, foundational, fundamental establishment doctrine for the sake of the Lord Jesus, He's the one who made it all possible. The source and the cause of our justification, chapter 1 to 5, is who? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The source the 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 um 
the means of our identification, 6, 7, and 8, is who? Christ. The, the source, the means of who we are dispensationally. Not Israel, we're body. 9, 10, 11. It's who? It's Christ. The source of our grace walk and the application of it, chapters 12 to 16, is who? It's Christ. It's not us. It's Him. It's not I, but Christ. So He's based upon all that Christ has provided and accomplished. He's the ultimate cause for all the doctrines revealed and learned. And what Paul's doing here in a little simple phrase is he's reviewing all of the book of Romans. I'm telling you what we're going to learn. Then I'm going to teach it to you. What did he do? 111. Here's a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift there is doctrine. Why? The mutual faith. And then he teaches it to us, and at the end he says, I beseech you, based on all of that you just learned, come and join me. Come and be a part of what we're doing. Because when I get there, refreshed. Now think about, I love that, refreshed. Think about what he, we're going on a rabbit trail, okay? Look over with me at Philippians 1. Do it quickly. Think about that issue of refreshing. Uh, Philippians. Philippians. Well, Philippians 4. Just run back here. Philippians 4.15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessities. Okay? That's chapter 1, the fellowship of the gospel. Verse 17. Now watch this. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What did the Philippians do to Paul? They refreshed him. How? They sent a fruit basket. Now, what did we just learn in chapter 15? They took collection down to the poor saints, and what's he call it there in 1528? Them this fruit. He's like, look, guys, when I get to Rome, you have the opportunity to refresh me, so you're going to do what? You're going to help get me to Spain financially. You have that wonderful privilege of participating in the work of the ministry. Why would he go to Spain? He wasn't going to go sit on the south of France beaches and kick it up in the sand. What's he doing down there? He's ministry, preaching, teaching, going forth. So what do they get? I, 1530, I beseech you, brethren, based on doctrines learned, look at what God has accomplished for you. You get an opportunity to join me in what? Ministering in Spain. Now, how would they be able to do that? Financial help. See? So when you come back here to 1530, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, the source of it all, the ultimate cause, the ultimate source for all the doctrine. By the way, I beseech you. That, that's the language of grace. 
Chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your... You're going to present yourself a living sacrifice because of what? Because of the mercies of God. And because there's, a, there's not a beg. He ain't begging nothing. He does not beg at all. Okay? All right? He's not begging. He's not commanding. He's like, based on doctrines learned, here's an opportunity, and you should participate in it, and I know the doctrine will motivate you to do that. If the Lord Jesus Christ have achieved all of that for us, those four foundational pillars, isn't he worth living for? That's an appeal of love. That's an appeal of grace. But then he says, and, not only the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit. If Jesus Christ is the means and the source and the cause of the sound doctrine, the Spirit is the one who takes that doctrine and makes it transform into, into the details of life, makes it the reality. And this is the part that everybody misses, by the way, because they always ask, how, can that, how do I get that verse to work in my life? Did you, you hear what I said? How do I? you got to get yourself out of the way. It ain't about you. It's not I, but Christ. Now, come back to chapter 8, because he's already told us this. Chapter 8. Now, yes, you've got to read the verse. Yes, you've got to put it into your inner man and think about it. But your heart and your will decide to do what? Let's go do it. We're going to talk about the real you next hour real quick here. You're going to do it. Look at 8.13. Think about the love of the Spirit. What would that be? And the love of the Spirit. The love of the Spirit is when, for the, sake, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and the love of the Spirit. You love, when you love the work of the, of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, the functioning of the Spirit, that's the love of the Spirit. When you embrace that. Look at 8.13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, now watch, through the Spirit. No, see the subtle change in the language in that verse? If, you, if ye live after the flesh, what's the result? Death. But if ye not live in the Spirit, but what? Through the Spirit. You've done what? You're letting the Spirit, well, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of... You see, you're getting yourself out of the way. You're dead to the flesh. That's what eight, Romans 8 is all But you're alive in the who? The Spirit. Verse, keep reading. Do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. See, to live after the Spirit is to love the Spirit. Love, mental attitude, mental discernment. You come along and you're going to exercise your will, your volition, to take the doctrine and allow it to work. You're going to go walk after the Spirit, he'll say. You're going to take the positional truths that God has revealed that you have in Christ, and you're going to, you're going to get yourself out of the way completely, emotionally, 
the whole gamut of you out of the way, and you're going to allow the, the Spirit to work in that Word in your inner man. That's how the Spirit works. That's where He works. That's why you've got to have the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2 is clear. You want to know the revealed, the deep things of God? He only revealed them by His Spirit, and He does it in the Word, and you've got to get out of the way, and you've got to let that work. So then when you're learning, when you're understanding that you're not Israel, but you're the body, so then when you hear somebody say, every time you see Israel, just read body, well, what are you going to think? Mental love. Nope. <clears throat> Thanks for playing. <laughs> Give them the big X. Turn them off. Oh, but Rick, they're so good. No, they're not. Little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. I'm sorry. No, don't. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to, the, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the cry of maturity, the cry of a son, of an adult. For the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, at the end of Romans, hopefully we have in the realm of our inner man, come back to chapter 15, a thinking process, a mental attitude of all that Christ has done for us, all that He's accomplished. Look, at, you can't justify yourself. You can't walk in your own identity. You, you, all that He's done for us we then let the Spirit take that and do what? Work it out. That attitude. What do I, what's my attitude at work? What's my attitude at home? What's my, and all of that begins to focus through. And that's what Paul's doing here in verse 30, is he's reminding us, the Holy Spirit, you take the positional truths and you allow, you, you let, you, and as many as are led by the Spirit, you know what that means? You got out of the way. It's not you. You're not the issue. <laughs> he is. What is he doing? He says, here, this is who you are. This is the attitudes to have. And what that does is that makes the word become real in the details of life. Now notice, again, Paul, remember what I taught you. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. And remember the value Take advantage of the Holy Spirit, would you? Let Him work. I often think about that. Paul in Ephesians 4 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Look, look over there. This is a perfect illustration. I get them every now and then, you know. Look at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 30. Just real quick here, because I don't want to run through these and, and, again, miss stuff when I don't know where you're going, but I'm here all day, so... <laughs> Look at Ephesians 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Have you ever wondered how you can grieve? Notice, by the way, the word and, so we're hitching it into the end of let, the end of verse 28, 29. Really, the end back all the way up there, verse 20. And grieve not the whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, how about you 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 go walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, verse 17. You, ha you have your understanding darkened and alienated, verse 18. 
You, 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 verse 19, you've let your body control everything, your past feelings. Verse 20, you, you not so learn Christ. How about if you go do that? You know what that means? That means you haven't done verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation, the old things. You haven't done verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You haven't, verse 24, put on the new man. You're grieving him, aren't you? You're in Christ. He's provided all of this riches to you. And what are you doing? Living any way I want to. You're letting all corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You're not working. You're, you're being angry and, and sinning. Verse, 20, verse 31, let's fix it. How do we fix that? Let all wrath, let all bitterness, sorry, and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven. You see, the love of the Holy Spirit, what, would I, what am I going to do? I'm going to do verse 32 there. I'm going to be tenderhearted and kind and forgiving. <laughs> Why? Because he forgave me. I'm forgiven, so I can therefore forgive. I'm going to put away the anger and the the, 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 by the way, all of those in that list there in verse 29 are attitude sins. They're all attitude. Clamor, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. That's all stuff coming from inside. I'm going to replace that with, with the language of grace. Now come back to Romans 15. So that's what Paul's doing here. He's reminding us, hey, you remember all the doctrine? Now let's go put it to work. Let's let it work. Romans 15.30 That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He's, gonna, he's asking the Romans to pray for him. And he's, again, got to remember where we're at historically. We're in the early Acts period. Again, what is Paul's ministry? In Acts, chapter 11, verse 11, provoking them to jealousy. Okay, Acts, again, look at Romans 11, 11, just remind ourselves. Again, when he says that you, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, <laughs> there's a historical context here. Now, Acts is written as a historical narrative of, of uh, an, a written indictment against Israel and their failure to recognize the ministry of the little flock and then to recognize the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the church, the body of Christ, a dispensational change. Paul has already said, 11.11, I say then have they, and the they there is Israel, coming out of verse 7, stumbled, but that but they should fall. God forbid. So they stumbled over their Messiah. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. But then they subsequently fall, Acts 7, and what are they? They're set aside. They're cast away. For to provoke them to what? To jealousy. Verse 14. If by any means I may provoke them to emulation. I'm, I'm sorry, I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might say emulation, the act of attempting to be equal or excel. Identify. He, what is he doing? What's his ministry in Acts? He's over there doing stuff to do what? To cause Israel to come to an understanding that God has left them. They're not privileged any longer. And he's over here in the Gentiles. Well, he provoked them, but not to jealousy. To what? To anger and to wrath. 
but not all of them. Some of them he, he got. Now go back to 1530 real quick here. So there's an issue here of prayer. So Paul is going to ask the Romans to pray for him in light of his unique ministry to Israel in the Acts period. Historically, that's where we're at. Now watch verse 31. That, what, are they, what is he asking them to pray to God for me? That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and, that's number one, and number two, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, and, verse 32, number three, that I may come unto you and with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. So there's three Pacific Three Pacific, specific things that Paul's talking about. He's not just talking about, pray for me that we have journeys mercies and traveling days are good and the camel doesn't throw a shoe and the bunk board doesn't break down. He's not praying that, all, that stupidity at all. He's very specific. And again, these are not prayer formulas, okay? It's very specific what he's doing here. Now, the question gets is, is, was Paul's prayers answered? Well, yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> okay, really. So, because what happens is, is in prayer, does Paul get to Rome? Yes, but not the way I think Paul thought it was going to happen. Okay, does Paul get delivered from Judea, the unbelievers? By the way, catch that, unbelievers in Judea. Yes, but not quite the way Paul thought it was going to happen, see? Because what we have this thought process of how God ought to be answering our prayer. Come over real quick, 2 Corinthians 12. Just real fast here. Quickly here, I guess, not fast. Because, again, we'll go until the hour's up, and then we'll pick up here and finish up next time and maybe start chapter 16, maybe. We'll see. But notice, notice 2 Corinthians 12, notice verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He's got the thorn of the messenger of Satan to send above it. He asked the Lord how many times? Three times to alleviate a physical issue going on. The people oppressing him, the people opposing him, and so forth in the context. Okay? The messenger. Verse 9. And he said unto me, now, that's the answer. Five words. And he said unto me. That's the answer. Now, what did he say? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Three times Paul asked. Now, what is Paul looking for in his asking? What's Paul's mindset? Paul's mindset is come down here to God and zap this dude and get him out of my way. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient. See, see, the answer to Paul of my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, is not the answer Paul was looking for. Paul is looking for a different answer. Paul is looking for a removal of the problem. God's answer was, I'm not removing it. You're going to have, you're, my, per, my strength is imperfect in where? Your weakness. See that? Now, how do you know that? Notice Paul's response. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather have you zap the dude and remove him. No, he says, most more gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my, firm, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And that is such a different viewpoint on prayer. The problem is, is when we do this, we go, I'm in distress for me. And you miss what he says in verse 10. Why is he in distress? Why is he being persecuted? Why is he in reproaches? Why is he in necessities? For who? For Christ's sake. He's not in this situation because of a bad, a stupid decision he made. He's not in this decision because his family hates him. He's in this position because what is he doing? The ministry. He's out there living the word, working it through, preaching, teaching, standing doing he's not over here because whoa whoa is me they just hate me today he's over there because they hate him because of what he's preaching and teaching see we tend to get in there and go well i'm such a nice guy they shouldn't hate me but they do so woe is me he's not saying woe is me paul when god says my grace is sufficient paul what god's saying to paul is is paul your Prayer was answered when I died at Calvary. My grace is sufficient. And what you need to learn, Paul, is you need to learn that my grace is all you need. What else do you need? He justified you. He gave you his identity. He set you apart in what he's doing today. And then he gives you an applicable walk to live. What more do you need? Well, I need to be accepted by my family. No, you don't. My acceptance rests in him. Oh, I need to be accepted at the job. No, you don't. Why? Your acceptance is in him. That, by the way, that's the love of the Spirit. Because what's the Spirit doing? You want to love the Spirit, find out what the Spirit's doing and go do that. What's he doing? Building up the body of Christ, working in the Word. My grace, you have my grace is sufficient. You have my life, Paul. You have my mind. You have my identity. You, positional truths. You have it. What more do you? You don't need any more. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It's not the removal of the trouble. By the way, again, what was Paul asking? Paul's asking for the trouble to be removed, and God said what? He didn't say no. He just said, my grace is sufficient. Paul says, you know what? It, it's one of those, I call it the Denozo slaps. You ever watch NCIS and he pops him in the back of the head? Gibbs and Denozo pops him in the back of the head. That's what the Lord just did to Paul. Paul's wallering in the mellow over here going, woe is me. God says, wait a second, buddy. Don't you remember all that I've given to you? My grace is all you need. And Paul goes, yep, you're right. I needed that reminder. Thank you. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. A change in mindset. Because Paul was looking for an answer of, you've done that. Lord, change the dispensation for 30 seconds and send a bolt of lightning down here and zap this dude. And then go back to grace real quick. <laughs> you've done that. You might not have publicly said it like I just did, but you thought it. It's, don't, by the way, the removal of the trouble doesn't help you. 
at all. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, he'll say, the temptation taking you is common to man. And that you have, he has provided you a way to escape that ye may bear it. Not remove it. A removal of the trouble does you no good. Actually, it hurts you. Why? Because it's in the middle of the trouble that you're able to access the life and the provisions that Christ has given to you and then allows the Holy Spirit to come along and make them real in life, in your experience. And what happens is we tend to, come back to Romans 15, we tend to beg, borrow, and cheat for the removal of it, and actually that hinders us, okay? So what Paul's doing here, again, by the way, did Christ answer Paul's prayer? Yes, just not the way Paul was expecting it to. Does God answer our prayers? Yes, just not the way we expect him to. We expect this great, you know, thunder and lightning. And and he goes, no, it's right there. It's in the book. And that's what you do. So the first, the first request is the removal to be, that, verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. So come over to Acts 19. Paul, he's on his way to Spain, okay? He's first going to go to Jerusalem, then he's going to go to Rome, and then he's going to go to Spain. When Paul go, to, when you see that thing about to be delivered from, delivered in what way and in what manner, Okay? And that's going to be what I want you to see as we just spend the next little bit, 11, 10, 11 minutes here at this. Look at 19, Acts 19, and look at verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, by the way, small s, spirit, so that's his spirit, his thinking when he had passed through Macedonia K, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Okay, that's where we're at. Now, come across to chapter 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I go, bound in the Spirit, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Again, bound in the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. He's made the decision to go, so what's He going to do? He's going, okay? When he talks here about being delivered, uh, let me give you this and then we'll work it through. He's talking about being delivered from them that unbe the unbelief in Judea. That's the satanic policy of evil, the campaign that's been launched against him, okay? That's what he's going to talk about. Verse 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and affliction... What? Abides me. See that? So to be delivered, the, what did the Holy Spirit just tell him? Trouble's coming your way, Bubba. All of the satanic policy of evil, the adversary has launched against you. It's coming. People always make the, the little funny statement about Paul's retirement plan was in stocks and bonds. Rome's. Rome stocks and bonds, not on the stock market, you know, and, and I understand that. Verse 24, 
But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus do to testify the gospel of the grace of God. See what he's doing? It's time to go. This is why I'm going. Now, chapter 21, verse 4. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit, see capital S, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, don't go. You hear that a lot. It just says what? I'm recommending that you don't go. <laughs> All right? That he should not go up to Jerusalem. Verse 10, 2110. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Woo, if you go, trouble's coming, Paul. Now, what's Paul determined with himself? I'm going. Verse 12, And when we heard these things, both we and they of, of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. By the way, when we heard, Luke is included here, Luke's eyewitness account of this, and he says, we went to Paul and said, Paul, don't you go down there, man. They're going to kill you. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? Oh, I love that. <laughs> you're, you're killing me here, Smalls. You're killing me, <laughs> you know. For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I'm going. Verse 14, and when we would not be, I'm sorry, and when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. We ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Three times he's been told, don't go. You shouldn't go. And when you go, this is what's going to happen. And you know what he did? Loaded up the carriages and went anyway. They're off to Jerusalem. Verse 17, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the, brother, the brethren received us gladly. Verse 18, And the day following, Jesus went in with, uh, I'm sorry, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brethren, how many? And we'll go pause right there for a minute. So what did Paul do? He gives to James the, the offering for the poor saints of Jerusalem. So did they receive it? Yeah, they received it, but then there's some problems going to pop up here, aren't they? What's going to happen? Verse 26, Then Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that, an, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. What in the world is Paul doing going into the temple? Well, what did Romans 11, 11 teach us? Provoke them to jealousy. Now, what are they going to accuse Paul of doing? Verse 27, And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, these aren't the guys with James. These are outsiders. When they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! 
This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law, and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and have polluted this holy place. What are they? What in the world? These guys, they see Paul. Now, by the way, has Paul preached against the law of Moses? Yeah, he has. You don't need to, you, circumcision availeth you nothing. Uncircumcised. I mean, he's railed against Acts 13. The law, this, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, which the law of Moses could never justify you. Boom, he was, so it's not inaccurate with what they're doing, but what did they do with him? They laid hands on him, see. He's, he's in, he's there. He's going to do some things by James's request, okay? If you look there at verse 21, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying, well, all the Jews which are among the Gentiles, that's unbelieving Israel, the unbelieving, the unbelievers at Judea, see? There's your heathen, Galatians 2. Moses crying that thou ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're not happy with Paul. So what do they do? They lay hands on him. They come in and they take him. He's teaching the unbelieving Jew something here. He's teaching them what? That stuff, over, that temple stuff isn't the issue today. The issue today is the church, the body of Christ. They don't like that. It attacks their pocketbook. So they nail him. Now watch what they do, verse 29. For they had seen before with him in the city of Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed, see that? They supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They don't have accurate information. They have fake news. Okay? And all the city was moved, and the, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut, and they went about to kill him. Isn't that interesting? What did the Holy Spirit tell Paul? You go down there, trouble's coming, Bubba. Now watch what, and tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. You see that thing about, again, delivered in what manner? See, how is Paul going to be delivered from those that are unbelieving, those in Judea that are unbelieving? Well, what happened in verse 31? The captain of the band, the tidings came unto the chief captain of the band. The chief captain's job was to keep peace in the city. He's hearing about an uproar going on, so news got to, hey, breaker, breaker, break one nine, break, break, break. <laughs> we got us a problem down here, Central. Dispatch, help. Not God whispered in his ear, go. Not at all. He got news of what? There's trouble. They're trying to kill him. Verse 32, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. And then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. What He does his job. So Paul's delivered from those that are unbelieving in Judea. Not exactly how Paul thought it was going to happen. So what happens here? Verse 33, he bound, he's in bonds, isn't he? 
then Paul, hey, I'm praying, I want you guys to pray for me there in Rome that I'm delivered. Paul goes down, by the way, verse 35, and when he had come upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. By the way, verse 39, Paul claims his citizenship, and they immediately change their tactic with him. By the way, he claims to be a citizen of Rome, and in the end, that citizenry is what got him killed, ultimately. You go over into chapter 22, and you know what happens? Verse 24, And the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging. What did the Holy Spirit tell him? They're going to turn you over to the Gentiles, they, that he might know wherewith they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion, Hey, is it lawful for you to do this to a Roman citizen? Uncondemned. And he makes his appeal to Caesar. Chapter 23, verse 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. Only the Lord can say this, by the way. For as, though, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. In verse, and then, so where are they headed? They're headed to Rome. Did he get to Rome? Come back to Romans 15. Does he come over to Romans 15? Does he get to Rome? Verse 31, 32. Yeah, he got there. Just not quite the way he thought. Did they receive the gift in Jerusalem? Yeah, the poor saints did. James and them take it. They distribute it out, and they take care of it. Were they happy of it? Yeah, they were. 15, 31, 32. Did all of that come to pass? Yes, it did. Was it an answer to prayer? Yes, it was. Just not the way he, he wasn't going down there on the Norwegian cruise line. He wasn't, he didn't, no. Now, verse 33, time's up. We'll get that next time. We'll talk about the God of peace, okay? And then we'll move into chapter 16 next time a little bit too, all right? The conclusion of the book here. Remind, I beseech you, based on all that doctrine learned, man, come and work with me in the ministry. I need you to pray for me that I'll be delivered, they'll accept the gift, and then I get to you and I'll be refreshed. By the way, when he does get to them, he is refreshed. We'll see that in chapter 16. And I'll be honest with you, I think that's why there is a chapter 16, because he lists a whole bunch of people and he's given them the attaboys and the acknowledgement. All right? Now, verse 33, just real quick. Now the God of peace be with you all, and we'll look at the God of peace. As you think about that this week, the God of peace is not, a, it, is a, it is a title. It's used six times. And it's the first title that we are introduced to in the Paul's epistle. And it has nothing to do with you having a peaceful life. Sorry. All right? Okay. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son, for everything that you've provided to us in your Son, for everything that you've 
provided to us through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that, and Lord, I just pray we would live in it. In your name we pray.